0: Thy rod and thy staff they comfort me. Thou preparest the table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil. My cup runneth over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. You may be seated. I have already been blessed to be here this morning and um, I was smiling during the devotional because it ties in very well with what I want to share today and I think the Spirit has been at work uh, here in that and that was a confirmation to me that um, what I have prepared today is not necessarily my own but it is something that the Spirit has laid on my heart and I'm hoping and praying that I can convey that in a way that will encourage and strengthen us here together as a group. 1 Thessalonians 5.19 Do not quench the spirit. One of the shortest verses in the Bible and I think one of the most profound. Most of us have experienced some form of thirst and we understand what it means to have our thirst quenched. We take a drink of water and our thirst is taken away. It goes away. The thirst leaves. It is quenched. Some other translations will say uh, about 1 Thessalonians 5.19, do not stifle the Spirit, do not restrain the Holy Spirit, do not put out the Spirit's fire, do not extinguish the Spirit. We understand from various scriptures that the Holy Spirit is often referred to as fire. In Acts 2.3, there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as of fire, and it sat upon each of them. Matthew 3.11, I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance, but he that cometh after me is mightier than I, whose shoes I am not worthy to bear. He shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. Luke 3.16, John answered and said to them all, as for me, I baptize you with water. But one is coming who is mightier than I, and I am not fit to untie his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. God appeared to Moses in the burning bush. God led the children of Israel that night by a pillar of fire. In Hebrews 12:29 says that our God is a consuming fire. Quench not the spirit. Do not extinguish the spirit's flame. Now, I want to talk just a little bit about fire, something I know very little about. I'm not a fireman, and some of you will probably find fault with some of the things that I'm describing here, but I'm doing my best. There is such a thing as a fire triangle, I'm told, by my Google research. And in order for fire to burn, you need heat, oxygen, and fuel, three things. So in sitting around a campfire, you have the fuel, which is the wood, the oxygen is present in the air, and in my case, a match or a lighter provides the initial heat that's necessary to begin the process. So to extinguish a fire, you then have three options. You can reduce the heat, you can take away the fuel, or you can starve the fire of oxygen. And I believe that a fire extinguisher that we keep in our homes creates a powder or a foam that suppresses the fire by reducing the heat and creating a barrier between the fire and the available oxygen, therefore starving the fire. <clears throat> I believe without twisting scripture too much, you could, t- you could say in First Thessalonians 5.19, do not starve the spirit. Do not quench the spirit. Do not extinguish the spirit by depriving it of what it needs to live and grow and burn. Do not starve the spirit. Now, I'd like to talk about one more thing that I know very little about. Starvation. And you can clearly see that I don't struggle with this at all. But I'm told that in order for the body to function, the body burns fatty acids that are stored in fat warehouses along with some amounts of muscle tissue to provide the required glucose for the brain to function. Starvation is a process. Our body does not work like our vehicles. If we run out of gas, the car dies. Starvation is not that quick. It is a process. It's a three-step process. Number one, the first Um, step of starvation is that glycogen is broken down to energy by the liver. And after the liver uses up all of its energy, the second process is to burn the storehouses of fat. And once that has taken place, the third step, our body turns to our muscle tissue to find the, the needed nutrients and protein to survive. Sometimes a starving child will develop an enlarged and fatty liver causing the belly to bulge, providing the illusion that the child who is starving is actually well-fed. 12% of the world's population is hungry. In Asia and Africa make up the two continents where most of the starving people live. Nine million each year die from hunger. That's more than malaria, AIDS, and tuberculosis combined. Now, we all have relatives or know of people who have died as a result of cancer, a heart attack, accidents, stroke, addiction, and even suicide. But I bet there is no one here who knows of a single soul who has died of starvation because of lack of food. And we have no idea what starvation is and how it works because in this community, it is unheard of. And so in order for us to visualize what it means to quench the spirit, to starve the spirit, I want us to create a picture in our mind. Picture a road. This is not a road in Lancaster County or even in America, but this road travels through Sudan. It's not a paved road, and you can barely tell that it's a road because it's hard to tell where the desert ends and the road begins. It's just sand and dirt and dust. On the far side of the road, there's a few thatched huts to provide a little protection from the scorching sun. In the middle of the road stands a vulture. The vulture is black. He has a bald head and black eyes. The vulture is motionless. Ten feet in front of the vulture is a child. The Sudanese child is malnourished, squatting in the sand on the desert road with his feet tucked up under him, bent forward, resting on his elbows. He is also motionless, baking in the midday sun. The child needs food to survive. The vulture needs food to survive. And the vulture is patient as he waits for the starving child to die. In 1993, Kevin Carter traveled to Sudan with a group of photographers to capture the effects of the terrible famine and war. And he captured this photograph of the vulture and the child, and he won a Pulitzer Prize for his work. The photograph has appeared on Time Magazine and is considered to be one of the top, most influential photos of all time. I'm suggesting that too much of the time, we are starving the spirit in our lives. Is the Holy Spirit that dwells within me starving? Is what I take into my life feeding the spirit Or is he famished? Have I placed myself in a very vulnerable position as a result of being spiritually starved? And we want to take a look at the results of the life that is starving spiritually. The prophet Nathan, you remember, came to David after he sinned. He committed adultery and then covered his tracks by causing the death of the woman's husband. And the prophet Nathan was sent to David to restore him. And he told him a story, and the story was of a rich man who was entertaining a stranger. He was preparing a meal for a traveler, and instead of using one of his many lambs from his own flocks, he took the only lamb of his poor neighbor and offered that to the stranger for a meal. In 2 Samuel 12, 5, David's anger burned against the man, and he said to Nathan, As surely as the Lord lives, the man who did this must die. He must pay for the lamb four times over, because he did such a thing and had no pity. It's easy for us to see the starvation in David's life, the spiritual starvation. Notice the blindness. He had no idea that Nathan was talking about him. Notice the burning anger. The criticism, the lack of compassion, all signs of a starved spirit. In John 12, a spiritually starved Judas was very critical and covetous when Mary used a very expensive ointment to anoint the feet of Jesus. And in Luke 10, 38, as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving, and she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. If there was ever a portion of scripture that was written for me, it's this one. And let me just say while not trying, attempting to be less than critical, because after all, being critical is a sign of a quenched spirit. But I believe that our culture, and me especially, often choose the second best thing at the expense of drawing near to Jesus. At the very least, our service that we are so proud of, must come after we sit at the feet of Jesus. And I don't think Jesus was necessarily as worried that Martha was serving, but he was concerned about her criticism, which is a sign of her starving spirit. Another sign that the spirit is starving is we resist God's authority. Now, in James 4-7, we are given instructions on how how to handle the devil, how to resist. James 4-7 says, Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Now, this word, this, this verse, has three action words. Submit, resist, and flee. And too many times, we find ourselves submitting to our own flesh we find ourselves resisting God and we wonder why the devil doesn't flee. The correct formula for overcoming sin is submitting to God, resisting the devil and our carnal self and the devil will flee. But if we reverse the formula, we are as vulnerable to the devil as the starving child is to the vulture. Another thing we do when we are starving spiritually is we blame God. In Romans nine nineteen, Paul says this, after describing the sovereignty of God and how we can then live in response to his sovereignty, he says, one of you will say, then why does God still blame us? For who is able to resist his will? But who are you, O human being, to talk back to God? Shall what is formed say to the one who formed it, why did you make me like this? As a product of God's creation, we have no right to complain to the designer, God, that he did a poor job on us, that he's not doing a very good job on our circumstances. Rather than submitting to our creator, we resist and we blame him for the way that he made us or has arranged our circumstances. Along with that, when we find ourselves resisting God's authority, it has a trickle-down effect on our lives, on all the authority that God has placed on our lives. Romans 13:1. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God. And those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities, resist what God has appointed. And to those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. For the authorities are ministers of God, attending to this very thing. Pay to all that is owed to them, taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed, honor to whom honor. And we can probably make that our theme verse for this coming week. There is no strength left for resisting the devil when we have a starved spirit. And again, James 4 verses six through eight. And Dave preached a sermon on this about eight weeks ago that was very powerful. James 4, six, but he giveth more grace, wherefore he saith, God resisteth the proud, but he giveth grace unto the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw nigh to God, and he will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners, and purify your hearts, ye double-minded. So in these verses, the, the, the verse, uh, verse 7 talks about submission to God. And verse 8 talks about drawing nigh to God. And sandwiched between those two verses is verse, at the end of verse 7, resist the devil and he will flee from you. But we have to remember that it's couched between submission to God and drawing near to God. And without those two bookends, the resistance is worn down. And until we're willing to submit to God and draw near to him, we shouldn't expect much more success than the starving child on the desert road. When we are starved spiritually, we fail to provide a path toward Christ for our neighbor. Now this is illustrated very clearly in the life of Judas. And we just went through this in our Sunday school lesson, but we remember that Peter denied the Lord three times. Even after Christ warned him that he would do this, and even after he tried to conjure up sheer determination not to, in Matthew 26, 75, Peter, after the rooster crows, remembers the warning Jesus had given him, and he went out and wept bitterly. But we know how the story ends. We know that he reconnected with the Lord and was restored and was a great asset to the church. Judas also sinned against the Lord in betraying him. And in Matthew 27, 4, he comes to the chief priests and the elders to return the money, and he makes the confession. I have sinned by betraying innocent blood. Now, if you were a Jew living at this time, where would you go to find forgiveness for your sin? Where would you go for someone to make atonement for your sin? I can't think of a better place than the chief priests to offer a sacrifice that would cover the blood would provide the atonement for your sin. The chief priests provided none of that. Now you remember the photo that Kevin Carter took of the vulture and the child. Reportedly on his trip he was told not to touch anything or anyone because of the rampant diseases that were spreading everywhere. The child that he photographed was only 700 yards from a food station. He could have easily carried the child to safety. But he chose not to. Less than two years after he returned from his trip to the Sudan, because of the carnage, And tragedy that Kevin witnessed, he took his own life. When we are starved spiritually, we become calloused to the corpses around us. And since the spirit within us is starved, we don't reach out to those who have fallen on the desert road. Judas went to the chief priests and elders. And they said, see to it yourself. In essence, they were saying, oh, you're sorry? Well, figure it out. And we know how Judas figured it out. But here's my point. Galatians 6.1, brethren, ye which are spiritual, restore such an one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. It takes a spiritual person to offer Restoration. A religious person has nothing to offer. And when the spirit of a religious leader is as starved as the child on the desert road, there is death around the corner. If you starve the spirit within you, you have no life off responding, much like the chief priests and the elders, which was basically good luck. Well, the opposite of a starved spirit is a spirit that is well-fed. Ephesians 1.1. 1, 1. Please turn with me to Ephesians chapter 1. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God to the saints which are at Ephesus, and to the faithful in Christ Jesus, grace be to you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places, Wherein he hath abounded toward us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known unto us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure which he hath purposed in himself, that in a dispensation of the fullness of time he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth, even in him, in whom also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestinated according to the purpose of him who worketh all things after the counsel of his own will." that we should be to the praise of his glory, who first trusted in Christ, in whom ye also trusted, after that ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, after that ye believed, ye were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, which is the earnest of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession unto the praise of his glory. We are sealed by the Holy Spirit until the fullness of Of redemption. The gift of the Holy Spirit is not just for a short time, but it seals us until we receive the fullness of our redemption. I compare this a little bit in a small way to marriage. Marriage is sort of like a seal in our life, it's till death do us part. When we get married, it's not just till we get back from the honeymoon or a few weeks or a couple of years but it is for life till death parts. In the same way, the Holy Spirit was given to seal us, not just for a short time. The Holy Spirit does not come and go from our lives, paying short visits, but it's a long-term arrangement. We are sealed until the redemption of the purchased possession. Some of the ways in which we can uh, provide for healthy marriages compares to Uh, some of the ways that we can have healthy relationship with God. And I just want to share quickly a few comparisons. Submission and closeness, we saw in James 4, are keys to feeding the spirit and to being able to resist the devil. And in marriage, submission to one another and closeness and communication are also keys in building our relationship. And in our marriage, we begin to starve um, as one of the spouses refuses to submit to the other. And we feel our hearts starving as our spouse is no longer willing to hear what we have to say. No longer willing to give up what he or she wants in deference to the other's needs or desires. And when our spouse starts to bulldoze their way through life without... um, Allowing input from the other spouse, supportive and corrective, we begin to die. Our relationship begins to die. Also, when we are not present in a marriage, this is a problem. And we need to be in close proximity to our spouse to show support and love. Now, absence does not make the heart grow fonder. Absence causes the heart to wander Nobody that's in love with somebody else wants to be further away from them or see less of them. But even in close proximity, there can be distance in a relationship. And those of us who are married probably know what it's like to live in the same house or even to go to bed at night lying next to your spouse and feeling like there's a wall between you, like you're miles apart. And When we're at this point in our marriage, usually um, one of us will cry out for love. Usually the wife will cry out for love and they will want communication in order to connect um, with the husband and to keep the relationship up to date. And the husband in turn usually feels badgered or controlled by the constant communication that he hears and withdraws. What we don't realize is that our wives are communicating to connect with us, not to control us. Sometimes uh, a woman will sort of give up on a marriage and she'll begin to grow cold and withdrawn and the husband begins to think that the marriage is going much better now because he's hearing less of the communication and the constant barrage of connection. What he doesn't realize is that he has quenched the spirit of his wife. He has extinguished her flame. He has starved her of a loving connection and she is dying In her spirit. Sometimes. In life. I treat the Holy Spirit. With the same lack of respect. That I find myself extending toward my wife. Sometimes I grow weary. Of giving up my will. Because I'm selfish. I no longer listen for the direction from the spirit. And maybe I've built a wall in my relationship to the spirit. I'm still in close proximity to the spirit. I come to church. I'm around people who have the spirit. But I've shut him out. And at first this is very painful because the Holy Spirit is the comforter, the corrector. He is a communicator and he tries to make connection with us. And We feel this constant corrective communication and we resist that and refuse to submit. And then the Spirit grows quiet in our lives and we feel some level of peace and calm. We withdraw from the Holy Word of God We starve the spirit, and we drown out the voice of God. And I believe that at this point, we are the most vulnerable to temptation. We are no longer submitting or drawing near to God, and our resistance is gone. We are left as a starving child on a desert road with a vulture patiently waiting for us to die. Quench not the spirit. Do not extinguish the Spirit. Do not starve the Spirit. That is the command in 1 Thessalonians 5.19. In Ephesians, we read this. Finally, brethren, be strong in the Lord. withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand. Stand therefore, having your loins girt about with truth, having the breastplate of righteousness, and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. And above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith you shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit which is the word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. Notice the difference that we see here when we take on the armor of God, when we withstand, we stand on truth, we are covered in righteousness, we run with the gospel of peace, we are protected against the fiery darts by a shield of faith, And we are told to take the helmet of salvation. And none of these things are fighting gear. This is all protective gear. But then we take the sword of the Spirit. The sword of the Spirit. Whose sword is it? It's the sword of the Spirit. The Word of God. It's the Spirit's sword that provides the resistance, the offensive weapon that we need. But if the spirit is quenched, there's no sword. Imagine if the child on the desert road would have been standing. That would change the scene a little bit. Or what if the child had armor, shoes, a shield, helmet? But what if the child would have had a machete, a sword? to go on the offensive. The image changes dramatically when you place a sword in the child's hand. A child who is standing and protected with armor and one that has a weapon is ready to resist and withstand the attack of the vulture. The word of God produces power in our lives. It is life-giving and it is precisely the weapon we need to resist and withstand the evil one. Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed ther- thereto according to thy word. With my whole heart have I sought thee. O oh, let me not wander from thy commandments. Thy word have I hid in mine heart, that I might not sin against thee. Blessed art thou, O Lord. Teach me thy statutes. With my lips have I declared all the judgments of thy mouth. I have rejoiced in the way of thy testimonies as much as in all riches. I will meditate in thy precepts and have respect unto thy ways. I will delight myself in thy statutes. I will not forget thy word. Deal bountifully with thy servant that I may live and keep thy word. Open thou mine eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of thy law. Isaiah 40 verse eight. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. In John 1, we know um, the passage, in the beginning was the word. The word was with God and the word was God. And it explains to us that the word became flesh and dwelt among us. In John 8, Jesus had a conversation, and he said to those Jews which believed on him, "If ye continue or abide in my word, then are ye my disciples indeed, and ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. The servant abideth not in the house forever, but the son abideth forever. If the son therefore shall make you free, ye shall be free indeed. I know that ye are Abraham's seed, but ye seek to kill me, because my word hath no place in you." I speak that which I have seen of my father, and ye do that which ye have seen of your father. They answered him and said unto him, Abraham is our father. Jesus saith unto them, if ye were Abraham's children, ye would do the works of Abraham. But now ye seek to kill me, a man that hath told you the truth, which I have heard of God. This did not Abraham. Ye do the deeds of your father. Then said they to him, we be not born of fornication, we have one father, even God." Jesus said unto them, if God were your father, you would would love me, for I proceeded forth and came from God, neither came I of myself, but he sent me. Why do you yet not understand my speech, even because you cannot hear my word? Ye are of your father the devil, and the lusts of your father ye will do. He was a murderer from the beginning, and abode not in the truth, because there is no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own, for he is a liar and the father of it. And because I tell you the truth, you believe me not. Which of you convinceth me of sin? And if I say the truth, why do you not believe me? He that is of God heareth God's word, ye therefore hear them not, because ye are not of God. John fifteen one, I am the true vine, and my father is the husbandman. Every branch in me that beareth not fruit he taketh away, and every branch that beareth fruit he purgeth it, that it bringeth forth more fruit. Now ye are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. Abide in me, and I in you. As a branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine. No more can ye, except ye abide in me. I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me, and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me ye can do nothing. If a man abide not in me, he is cast forth as a branch and is withered, and men gather them and cast them into a fire, and they are burned. If ye abide in me, and my words abide in you, ye shall ask what ye will, and it shall be done unto you. Herein is my Father glorified that ye bear much fruit, so shall ye be my disciples. Am I a servant who moves in and out of the house of Christ Or am I abiding? Am I living? Am I a child of the king? Do I take up residence with Christ and in his word? What you abide in is a reflection of who you are and whose you are. This past week I received an email devotional from David Jeremiah that says this. According to Architectural Digest, the most expensive private home on earth is in Mumbai, India. A 400,000 square foot tower owned by Mukesh Ambini, India's richest man. It requires 600 employees to maintain the residence. Every floor is the height of two floors, giving it lofty ceilings. It contains a garage for 168 cars and has three helipads on the roof. Superfast elevators whisk family and friends up and down the tower, and it costs over $1 billion. It's just out of my price range. But David Jeremiah says there is a far better house each of us can afford. Jesus told us to abide, to live in, to dwell, to settle down and be at home in his word. The word has 66 rooms, all with a clear view of eternity. It is foundation. Its foundation is anchored into the truth of God, and its front door is the cross of Christ. When we receive Jesus as Savior and begin studying the Bible each day, trusting his word and obeying his commands, we are abiding in his word. And as we abide in his word, we are learning to abide in Christ. And that is the best address in the universe. Oswald Chambers says, The way to get back to reading the whole word of God and to reading it with understanding is to live in Bible territory. To regulate one's life and experience in every detail by God's revealed law. As branches, we must abide in the vine. Let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God. For God cannot be tempted with evil. Neither tempteth he any man. But every man is tempted when he is drawn away with his own lust and enticed. Then when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin, and sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. Do not err, my beloved brethren. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, and cometh down from the Father of lights, with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. Of his own will begat he us with the word of truth, that we should be the kind of first fruits of his creatures. Wherefore, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. For wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. Wherefore lay apart all filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness. And listen to this. Receive with meekness the engrafted word which is able to save your soul. Is the word of God engrafted in your life? Are you engrafted into the word of God? We as followers of Christ need to stop blaming God for our pitfalls and shortcomings. Our resistance is not broken down because we are not made a certain way. We are not falling prey to temptation because we are made in the image of God. We fail to resist the devil because we have a starved spirit. We think we can gorge ourselves on all types of junk food and garbage of the world and selfish pleasure. And we withdraw ourselves from the nourishment of God's word. And in meaningful communication with God... And we think we can still maintain a high level of resistance. It doesn't work. We look and feel spiritually like the starving child on the desert road when we withdraw from God. The vulture, the devil, has little work to do on us other than be patient. We are starving. And it's not that God has not provided for our needs. It's that we have wandered from his word and from him. We have tried to do this on our own strength. Do you feel like you are starving on a desert road? Are the vultures surrounding you and crowding in for the kill? David felt this way in Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside still waters. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Stay close to the Lord. He leads in pleasant paths. Verse four. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me, and thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. When we walk, when we abide when we live and take up residence, when we abide with the Lord close to him, he is with us and comforts us and there is nothing to fear. Verse five. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil, my cup runneth over. As we abide, as we take up residence in the word of God, as we abide with the Lord, he prepares a feast for us right in front of our enemy now for the child on the desert road there is a feast prepared there's a banquet a feast without fear of the vulture now the picture of this child is with a child with plenty of food and protection the vulture is starving and thin He feeds us in the presence of our enemy. It's worth noting that no circumstance has changed in Psalm 23. We are still in the presence of the enemy. The enemy is still very present, but he is now powerless as we feast without fear while abiding in the presence of the king. You see, the vulture was never the real threat to the child. The threat was starvation. The danger in our lives is the same. Starvation. Starving the spirit, quenching the spirit is the real threat. We need to stop giving the devil credit for defeating us when it's our own fault. I have moved away from God. I have shut down the spirit by starving him of the word of God. I have distanced myself and built up a wall in my life and I expect to drum up some sort of resistance. If we are not abiding with Christ, we are as powerless against the vulture as the child was on the desert road. But when we abide with Christ, the vulture is powerless against us. Praise the Lord. Let's pray. Lord, Forgive us for times where we have tried to deal with the vulture on our own strength. And thank you for sending the comforter to us, the Holy Spirit, and help us to understand what it means to quench the Spirit. Help us to submit to you, God, and to draw near to you so that the Spirit within us can be fed, can be well fed, we can be healthy, and the Spirit, the sword of the Spirit, will protect us. Thank you for the protection that you provide and the feast that you provide, uh, we can feast without fear in the presence of our enemies. Give us the strength to do this and help us to have the fortitude and the, um, to sense the need to do this for those around us, to uh, run to the rescue of those who have fallen on the desert road and carry them to safety. In Jesus' name, amen.